Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Over the past couple of lessons, we've seen the heart of rebellion of God's people. First, they complained about the conditions of the desert and how hard the journey was. Then we saw them complain about the food God was giving them. And after that, Moses' own siblings complained because they wanted to also share the responsibility of leadership. We're seeing a trend of rebellion in the book of Numbers. Today, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13 together and examine if that trend continues. Let's start out by looking at the first two verses of Numbers 13 together. Here's what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So here we see God, uh, the Lord speaking to Moses. It's the, the word that we've talked about over and over in the book of Numbers, that word, way to beer. But here's what he says. He says, send out uh, for yourself these men, 12 men to spy the land of Canaan. And as we read this text, it makes it look like God, it was God's idea to send these 12 men into the promised land to spy out that land. But was it really his idea? I want you to look with me at the book of Deuteronomy, we see the same account in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1. Listen to the verses uh, uh, that speak to what happened as these 12 spies went into the promised land. We're going to start in verse 20. I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So the directions were clear. God had instructed the people to go and take the promised land. It was a land that he had given them. Is that what they did? Look at verse 22. Then all of you, all of you Israelites, you approached me and said, let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us word of the way by which we should go up to the cities which we shall enter. The thing pleased me, Moses said, and I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe. They turned and went up to the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought us back a report and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. So I want you to see that Moses told the people, go possess the land. And the people came to him with the idea of sending 12 spies into the land first. 
So did Moses, did Moses listen to the people rather than God? And if you put these two accounts together of, of Numbers 13 and Deuteronomy 1, it certainly seems that that's exactly what happened. The people came to Moses with a plan. The plan pleased Moses, it says in Deuteronomy 1.23. And God gave them the desire of their heart. We see that in Numbers 13 too. It wasn't really God's idea. God's idea was, I want you to take the land. That was his idea. But that's not what happened. You know, back in Numbers 12, we discussed that Miriam and Aaron questioned Moses' leadership. The very next story, Moses seemed to be listening to the people rather than God. And I wonder if part of the reason that Moses is listening to the people is that his leadership was under a microscope. And all of a sudden, he wasn't that confident leader that he was before that event. So if you look at God's instructions in Numbers 13, the thing that I see is it seems to emphasize how the spies were to go out into the promised land and not really the instruction of, oh, you need to send these 12 men. See, God says, I have a direction. If you're going to send the 12 men, and again, I don't believe it was his preferred will, but if you're going to do it, I want you to get a man from each tribe. And so there's plenty of evidence that God's preferred will was possess the land. Believe me, I've told you it's good. I've told you it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now go possess it. And the people did not do that. And when the spies got back, it says the Lord was angry with Moses. It's Deuteronomy 1, verses 37 and 38. So why would he be angry with Moses if it was his preferred will for those 12 spies to go into the promised land in the first place. He wouldn't be. That wasn't his preferred will. Now, verses 4 through 16 of, of Numbers 13, in those verses, we see the names of the 12 men who were sent out to spy the land. Two of them stand out. One, his name was Caleb from the tribe of Judah. You see that in verse six. The other one is Hosea from the tribe of Ephraim. That's in verse eight. Now, we're gonna look at Caleb in a few minutes, but who is this Hosea? You probably know him by another name. Look at verse 16 with me. Numbers 13, verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So Moses called him Joshua. And that's how we know him today. What's the difference between those two names? Well, unless you know Hebrew, you probably don't realize that Hosea means salvation. Hosea means salvation. Joshua, literally in Hebrew, Yah Hosea, means Yahweh 
is salvation. So God is salvation. And you just see Moses and Hosea meeting for the first time, and this is my sanctified imagination, and and they meet one another, and Moses looks at him and says, Hi, how are you doing? What's your name? And he says, Hosea, salvation. Moses says, Ha, salvation, God is salvation, Yahoshea. And all of a sudden, his name is changed to Joshua. There's something else you may or may not know. Did you know Joshua is the Hebrew origin of the name Jesus? As we call Jesus by that name to a Hebrew, that same name is Joshua, Yahashua. God is salvation. So let's look at the spy's mission. Numbers 13, verses 17 through 20. Here's what it says. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he sent them, uh, he, he said to them, go up there into the Negev, then go up to the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps with fortifications? And how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time uh, was the time of the first ripe grapes. So the spies were sent, uh, were actually at this moment in the south of Israel, in the Negev. Okay, that's what it says, the Negev. That means southland in Hebrew, Negev. And they were instructed to go through the area that would later be known as Judah and Samaria and Galilee and those, those places we, we know from the New Testament. And they were to spy out the land right now on your podcast player. Hopefully, if you have one that has this capability, you're able to see a map that shows Israel and picture them in the far south of Israel in the Negev going all the way to the north and we see that they reach as far as Lebo uh, Hamath, which is in southern Lebanon, all the way to the north of Israel into Lebanon. And their job was to bring, uh, uh, bring back the answers to a series of questions. And those series of questions that we just read centered around two things. One is what's the land like? I mean, is it good? Is it bad? Is it fat? Is it lean? What, what does it look like? Does it have a lot of things? So the first thing is kind of the quality of the land. And the second question they were to answer was the strength of those who are living in the land. Are they strong? Are they weak? Are, they, are we able to overtake them? Those were the two questions they were to answer. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't you think it would have been better if God had just told Moses about the land before all of this so that he wouldn't have to send spies to check it out? Don't you think that would have been better? Would that have been smart of God to do is just tell him about the land and not send these spies in there? Wait a minute. That's exactly what he did. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And God told them very specifically, this is what the land's gonna be like. Here are the peoples that are gonna be living in the land when you get there. This should not have been a surprise. So were spies necessary to see what the land was like? No. If they took God for his word, if they believed him, they didn't need spies to prove what God had already told them. He already said the land was good. He already said it was flowing with milk and honey. And it's easy for us to read the Bible and think, are you kidding, guys? Why didn't you just trust God? I mean, he already told you that it was good land. Why did you not believe him? But how often do we do the same thing? I mean, his word is extremely clear about the things that are good. Yet we don't always trust him. So many times we trust our fleshly tendency just like Moses, today, trust him. He's not hiding his preferred will from you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he loves you as his child. He wants to know, he wants you to know his preferences. Believe that his will is in your best interest. Trust him. Follow him. Walk hand in hand with him. So that's, that's kind of where the spies were. Moses sends these spies in there because honestly, he doesn't truly believe God's word at its core. And he's deceived by the request of the people. Now in verses 21 to 25 of Numbers 13, we see the spies scout out the land. During their exploration, they came across what the Bible calls in verse 22, the descendants of Anak. These were giants. And it's understandable how the people, these spies could have seen them and been scared. Can you imagine a people full of giants? We see in Joshua 11, verses 21 and 22, that some of these giants lived in the region of Hebron as well as in cities such as Gath. Do you recall another story in the Bible with a giant that came from Gath? See, this is the setting of David and Goliath. This is the people of Goliath. Many scholars say he was a direct descendant of Anak. So I want you to imagine these 12 spies seeing a land full of Goliath. Wouldn't you have been scared too? So during their journey, the spies must have traveled somewhere between 350 to 500 miles as they traveled north uh, to the northern part of Israel and then back down south. Part of that depends on how far east and west they were going as they traveled. And it took them 40 days, it says in our text, now, now understand, at that time, we know from other texts um, outside the Bible that a day's journey 
was somewhere between 12 and 15 miles. If you multiply that by 40, it's the exact distance they would have had to travel in 40 days. It's the exact amount of mileage per day. It works out perfectly. The math works. But they spanned the entire country from the south all the way to the north, back to the south again. And when they came back to the Israelite community, it was time to report their findings. Let's take a look at what they said. We're going to start at verse 26. Numbers 13, starting in verse 26. They proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, to the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran, that's way down south, um, at Kadesh. And they brought back the word to them and to all the, the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it was certainly, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. Yeah, what God said was right. God was absolutely correct. It is flowing with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Verse 28, nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. And again, none of that should have been a surprise. Exodus 3.8 said that. God had already told them that. But was their report a good report or a bad report? Well, understand, they love the land. Oh man, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. They loved the land. But they said, the people, no, they're too big. They're too powerful. We can't overtake them. So they had no hope to possess the land, right? Well, at least one of them, at least one of the spies thought it was possible. Look at verses 30 and 31. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. Have you ever been given an assignment that seemed absolutely impossible to complete? One of my favorite things to teach is a book called Grasping God's Word. There's an assignment um, very early on in that book in which the student is supposed to look at the, the, the verse of Acts 1.8. And in that one verse, the student is supposed to come up with at least 30 observations. Not going into what it means, just observations. And, and you look at one verse and you're like, are you kidding me? How on earth can you come up with 30 different observations in one verse in Scripture? I had that look of Big eyes, are you kidding? This is what you want us to do with the first time I was given that assignment as a student. And now when I give it as a teacher, people are like, are you kidding? There is no way. To this day, I have over 50 observations written down on that one chapter in scripture. 
And I tell you that because the first time you hear that assignment, it absolutely seems impossible. And I want to get you in that mindset because for 40 days, these spies were to look for very specific things we talked about when they were in the promised land. And when they returned, what was their report? Well, they said the land's amazing. The fruit is amazing. But the people, oh no, they're huge. And they came to this overwhelming conclusion that it is impossible to complete the assignment God has given us. We cannot take this land because the people there are too strong. Now understand, in their strength, these men were completely right. They weren't able to go up against these people, these giants. You know, that was their problem. They were relying on their own strength. When God gives us an assignment, he always gives us the strength to complete that assignment that he has given us. But only if we do it in him, as we rely on his strength. That's the only way. And understand in our, in our, in our text here, only two of the 12 spies were ready to take on the assignment that God had given them. Only two of them said, yes, we can overtake these people. Let's take the land. Caleb and Joshua saw the task and said, oh yeah, that's possible. Listen to the confidence of Caleb. Here's what he said. We should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. I love Caleb's resolve. Essentially, he says, God said we would possess the land, so let's go take it. We can overtake these people because God's with us. And if you look in Numbers 14, as we get to that chapter, we're gonna find out that Joshua agreed with Caleb and he also wanted the people to obey God and take the land. Unfortunately, due to the unbelief of the masses, only Joshua and Caleb were allowed to enter the promised land 40 years later. For 40 years, God would lead his people in the desert. To put it bluntly, God was waiting for everyone else to die off before giving the land to his faithful servants. Now, so Caleb encourages the people to possess the land. How did they respond? Let's look at verses 31 to 33. Here's what it says. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, or Nephilim, Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. 
and so we were in their sight. So they had a direct reply to Caleb. Caleb had said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it. The people said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong. And, and here they give a direct reply with the same wording that Caleb used and said, no, we can't do what you have said. And the same people that witnessed what God had done to the Egyptians, how God had worked miracle after miracle after miracle, did not trust him to be with them as they entered the land he had promised them. And not only that, the text says that they, the spies gave a report full of exaggeration. Uh, you, your, my translation says a bad report. And we read that and think that it was just a negative report, right? Like it wasn't a good report. But if you want to do a little study on this word, I want you to look at how it's used in Psalm 31, verse 13, and also in Proverbs 10, 18. Because in those verses, we see it highlighted a very different way. My Bible says it is translated as the word slander. This report they gave to the people was full of exaggeration. See, they said the land devours its inhabitants. What did they mean by this? Well, some scholars say, well, they must have seen a lot of fighting going on in the land for those 40 days, and that's what they mean. Um, other scholars have said, oh, well, they, they, they noticed that the land, the soil itself, wasn't good, which doesn't make any sense because they also say it's a land flowing with milk and honey. So I don't know where they get that. But the rabbis have taught this very differently for centuries. See, according to tradition, very early on, rabbis noted the spies came back across a lot of, when they came back to give the report, they were, they came across a lot of funerals during that 40-day trip. And so when they came back, they said, man, there's a lot of death there. Yeah, there's all those people group, but there's a lot of death. We saw a lot of funerals. So is that true? I, I don't know. But I will tell you, when they say that the land devours its inhabitants, it's a phrase that they're, they're trying to strike fear in the people of Israel. They're trying to say, you know what? No matter what we do, there's no way we can overtake this land because the land devours its inhabitants. So forget it. Don't worry about trusting God. And they use exaggeration to make their point. And their next, their next point is discussing the size of the people of the land, right? They said in comparison that we were like grasshoppers compared to these giants. Now, why did they say grasshoppers? Why didn't they say ants? Why didn't they say some other small insect? Why did they use grasshoppers? Well, if you look in Leviticus chapter 11, God talks about what his people may eat. Here's what he says. These of them you may eat, the locust in its kind and the devastating locust in its kind and the cricket in its kind and the grasshopper. In its kind, Leviticus eleven twenty two. Did you know the grasshopper was the smallest 
edible creature that God permitted Israel to consume. So as the people are describing their size compared to the giants, they use a visual example of what it's like when they consume the smallest creature permitted by God. In in effect, they're saying it's just like when we eat grasshoppers. You know, the very smallest thing we can eat. You know how easy it is to eat that, how small they are? That's what we're like in 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 the sight of these giants. So it's meant to strike fear in the people of Israel. Now, were they truly like grasshoppers? Were they minuscule in comparison to giants? No. The giants were not like 500 feet tall. It was not a good comparison. But they're saying this full of exaggeration to strike fear in the people. We can't obey God. There's no way we can complete this mission. And I hope as I'm as I'm saying all of this, there's another story that's coming to your mind. About 450 years later, the Israelites will be confronted by a giant for 40 days. You hear 40, just like the spies. For 40 days, this giant would come out and taunt the Israelites, and they trembled in fear. This giant would absolutely consume them if they went into the valley. Surely. They couldn't defeat him, right? Well, along comes a shepherd boy with a full trust in his God, much like Caleb, much like Joshua. See, God uses David to defeat Goliath. God uses those who take him at his word to show the world his power. See, fear is a constant tool of our enemy. There's a reason why God puts the phrase fear not over 80 times in the Bible. And some of you may be in a situation right now in which the enemy is paralyzing you using fear just like the Israelites in Numbers 13. See, the enemy knows that fear will make you disobedient to what the Lord has already told you to do. And over and over and over in Scripture, God says, do not fear. Do not fear. Instead, trust me. Let me ask you a question as you listen to this podcast. What has God called you to do for him, but you still haven't completed it because of fear? See, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, don't fear. He has redeemed you. He has called you by name. You are his. Trust him. Walk with him. If that's you today, I encourage you to pick up your Bible and read Isaiah 43. Allow him to speak truth into you as you face your fears about doing what he has told you to do. 
Now, as we finish Numbers 13, the spies have convinced the people they can't possess the land. We're going to look at that as we look at Numbers chapter 14 together. But it says the people wept and grumbled after hearing this report of the spies. Fast forward in your mind with me. Almost 40 years later, Moses has just died. It's time for Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. The same Joshua that stood up with Caleb and said, if God God has given us this land, let's take it. We can do it. It's been a long wait. Listen to God's instructions to Joshua as they're about to enter the promised land. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. All along, God's plan was for his people to take possession of the land, but not in their own strength. He was going to be with them all along. He would be the one fighting the battles for them. And he's strong. God doesn't ever lose a battle. He just needed the Israelites to allow him to fight the battle for them. And you know, the same is true for us today. God will never give us an assignment and then leave us to accomplish it in our own strength because he is always with us. That's what he said. But we have to allow him to use his strength to accomplish those tasks. See, he does give us more than we can handle. We often quote 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and we say, you know, God's never going to give us more than we can handle, but that is not what that text says. We're not going to go into the entirety of that verse right now, but know that God's promise is not that he's going to give us more than we can handle, that he's never going to do that, excuse me, but rather that he is going to help us handle everything we have been given in his strength. The question for you and the question for me today is whose strength are we relying on? He has given you assignments and he's given me assignments for his kingdom. And understand, they are often some of the most daunting things we do. But there's a reason for that. It's so that the world can see his strength as he completes them through us. Whose strength are you relying on? Thank you so much for joining me with Numbers 13 today. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Armel Ministries. I would love to hear your feedback. You can reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Arbel Ministries, or you can email me, arbelministries at gmail.com. If you're interested in going on a trip with me to Israel, I would encourage you, reach out to me. It comes to life 
when you're seeing it with your eyes. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to our next time together.